0: Thanks for joining us online for today's message from our Sunday morning service where we are learning how to make disciples who love God, love others, and serve the world. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged. For more information about Wilmot Center Missionary Church, go to wcmc.ca. Now prepare your hearts for what God wants to speak to you today. We really do need God's words. We really do need His truth in difficult times, and storms, or dealing with loss, and um, God has so much that he promises us, and he speaks to us, and um, the word is good, you know, his hopes for you, he, has, he gives you a hope and a future, and uh, his plans for you are good, and um, I'm going to share about some of those things today, and thank you, Chester, I needed that, and it just some, um, you know, I just felt like it was such a special service already, just us coming together, and um just I know, too, how we're going to surround Randall and his family, and I'm um, just thankful that um, we have so many people here that care so much. And you're going to see a couple different uh, faces uh, over the next couple weeks, um, giving the message from up here as uh, Randall has the time he needs to spend some time with his family and, um, and to process through this, this time. Um, one thing I should mention, too, before I go on, um, grade fives and sixes, if you want to check out the uh, quizzing downstairs, go ahead right now. Yeah, so my weapon is a melody. I'm going to speak a little bit about that today. And um, we've drawn to a close of our series on Proverbs, foolproof. And uh, I'm going to do the message a little bit differently today. Instead of focusing, I'll talk a little bit about Proverbs. I'm going to jump into the end of the book. But then I'm going to focus on the man, the man behind the book. And I'm going to take a little bit of time to focus in on a part of Solomon's life. And... um, I actually really enjoyed even just looking into it um, such an in, amazing um, person amazing man of god so what is a proverb what is a proverb a proverb is a short saying or story with a profound meaning so i'm just going to read a little short story to you before i get in and it's one with a profound meaning to it um, once there was a farmer who regularly sold butter to a baker One day, the baker decided to weigh the butter to see if he was getting the exact amount that he asked for. He found out he wasn't. So he took the farmer to court. The judge asked the farmer if he uses any measure to weigh the butter. The farmer replied, "'Your honour, I'm primitive. I don't have a proper measure, but I do have a scale.' The judge replied, "'Then how do you weigh the butter?' The farmer replied, your honor, long before the baker started buying butter from me, I have been buying a pound of bread from him. Every day when the baker brings the bread, I put it on the scale and give him the same weight in butter. What you sow, so shall you reap, right? Short story, profound meaning. And that's what we've been uh, enjoying as we travel through the book of Proverbs. Short little sayings and unpacking them can take pretty long because there's so much meaning packed into each saying. And I've really enjoyed this summer series, and I hope you have too. And uh, I've really been blessed by Randall as he has dived into it and just uh, walked with us through the many different lessons from the book of Proverbs. And uh, really, when he mentioned we were going to be going through the book of Proverbs, I was wondering, how do you bring that together? So many sayings. When you read through it, you realize it touches on so many different aspects of life. And I was wondering, how do you bring that together? And I really feel he's done an amazing job of doing that. And um, so today I 'm going to circle back on a couple of the things that he has mentioned and try and weave it together, um, and we 'll see how that goes. So a couple of things he's stressed. He's talked a lot about wisdom and what it's like and what it's not. He's talked about the lady wisdom and how it was looked at as a, it was personified into what does it look like as a person and lady folly. And one theme he circled back on a couple of times, I'm sure you've caught it again and again, is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And so it's a hard thing to describe to someone something as big and profound as wisdom. I mean, so we talked about one of the ways is you can compare it to like things. So I thought I'd give an example. Um, so if I were to describe maybe to you what my father is like. Um, I might give you a couple of similar people um, that, are, that exemplify to me different characteristics of my dad. And if you can move ahead on the um, slide for me up there right now, I'm not linking in. Um, so one way I might describe my dad to you is he's a combination of Dog the Bounty Hunter, Billy Graham, and a little bit of Todd White. Okay, so those are different characteristics that I think those people have some things in common with my dad. So right now, if you don't know my dad, you're probably going, okay, wow. Well, let me give you some people I think might be opposites of him. Um, Oprah Winfrey, Stephen Hawking, or Justin Trudeau. I don't think he has a whole lot in common with any of those people on that list. And not to say anything negative about them, but he's not like them. Okay, so our goal has been to try and direct you away from what wisdom is not and towards what wisdom is. And we've been doing that, um, and Proverbs does that by comparing it to certain things as we go through. Our goal has been to make sure you are full, foolproof, foolproof, that you are going towards, trending towards the person of wisdom and away from the person, the fool, Okay. So I'm going to jump into the last chapter of the book. And you're going to have to follow along, um, Rick, back there and help me out because it's not linking right now. So here we go. The last chapter is to King Lemuel, and it's, um, there's a section that I'm going to look at. It's most often called the wife of noble character. The wife of noble character. Now, you probably have heard this section read on Mother's Day or other occasions for women. It's kind of this benchmark of what a woman of God should look like, and it's set really high, okay? If you've read this passage, you see that there are some pretty crazy standards that are set there. But I think this chapter applies to everyone, not just women. And I'm going to give you some reasons for that, and I'm going to dive into something that it, it finishes the book off with one phrase, and we're going to dive into that. I think the wife of noble character is linked back to the lady of wisdom, from the beginning of Proverbs, the first nine chapters. And I'm going to tell you why I think that. We're going to take a look at a couple of verses here. Proverbs 31.26 says, Her mouth is full of wisdom, her tongue with kindly teaching. Well, that sounds very familiar to the Lady of Wisdom. In uh, chapter 8, we read in a couple different places. 8.1, she raises her voice to all mankind. the lady of wisdom speaks of noble and upright things. 8.6 says, the lady of wisdom utters truth. 8.8 says, both women have mouths full of wisdom and both women teach. So I think we're seeing the same person described here. It's not a different person described at the end of the book. Also, they're given the same value. Lady wisdom talked about earlier in the book, chapter 3, verse 15, she's more precious than rubies and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. 8.11 says, For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. And then a wife of noble character, at the end of the book, 31.10 says, Who can find a virtuous wife, for her worth is far above rubies? It's the same value attached to them. So I think we're talking about the same person. And then, the lady of wisdom is introduced in the same way that the last characteristic that summarizes the wife of noble character is given. Lady of Wisdom in 2 verse 5, it says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And the wife of noble character, it says, this is the last characteristic that it describes her as, Charm is deceitful and and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So we are talking about the same person. We are talking about wisdom again at the end. But we're looking at it more in clothing. And it's a more, more dressed up and easier to understand. And actually the last chapter in Proverbs is an acrostic. It means it uses every letter of the Hebrew um, alphabet in order for each line. So it was actually easy to memorize. And that was how you would basically sum up and remember the th- main themes from the book. And it was easy to take with you and remember. But I'm going to just zoom in on that last phrase and it's the one that has come up again and again and i'm going to take a different way of trying to understand it that phrase is fear of the lord fear of the lord what does that mean so i'm going to try and unpack that now i'm going to look at what i think was the key to solomon's wisdom we're going to dive into that i'm going to suggest there was one clear thing that made solomon the wisest man that ever lived Now, I'm really going to rely on the teaching from Robert Morris on his series, In His Presence. And if you've never gone or walked through that series or listened to any of the teaching, I would recommend that you do. He does it far more in depth and does a great job of uh, talking about what I'm going to be talking about here. But if I were to ask you, what did Solomon ask God for? What would you tell me? What was it that he asked God for? You can shout it out. Wisdom. And it's amazing how many people that don't even go to church, don't even know their Bible, can answer that question. What did he ask for? Wisdom. We know that. But here's the next question. Why? Why did he ask for wisdom? Okay, so to govern the people. He didn't know what he was doing. Well, there's an interesting Hebrew word that I want to focus in on here. He really felt overwhelmed. He's taking over from his father who has rallied the different parts, the different tribes together. He's built them in this amazing kingdom. It's strong. It's prosperous. They're protected on all sides. They've gained more territory than ever before. And he's stepping into his shoes and he's feeling overwhelmed. He has to step in and take up and carry on for his father, who is a legend. He's known far and wide. Emissaries, um, delegates come from all over. And meet with his father. And he has to take over for him. Now we're going to dive into 1 Kings chapter 3. And there's. um, We're going to unpack this conversation here. That uh, Solomon has with God. So he's talking directly to God. God shows up and talks to him in a dream. And we're going to begin in verse 5. In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said. Ask what I shall give you. Well there's. That's hope and ended. That's amazing. God says, what do you want? And Solomon says, you've shown great mercy to your servant, David, my father. So he reminds God, you know, my father, David, this guy, you know, you really loved and cared for. Uh, he walked before you in faithfulness and truth and in uprightness and heart with you. You've continued this great kindness for him and given him a son to sit on his throne this day, as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father, David, but I am but a little child. And then he says, and I do not know how to go out or come in. I think this is the key to Solomon. Solomon needed to know how to do something that his father could do, and he did not know how to do. Now, what does this phrase really mean? If you look at it literally, it means Solomon had a problem with doors, okay? He just couldn't figure out how to get in them, get out of them, He's like, my, da- my dad's really good at it. You know, no hands, one hand, two hands. He can use his foot. I don't know what the reason is, but he's saying my dad can do this. Now, it's quite clear if, that was, if the literal meaning of this, if we took that, he's not the wisest man who ever lived. So it's not the literal meaning we're going to look at. We're going to dive into what does this actually mean. Now, when you come to his passage in scripture, and you're like, this makes no sense at all, there's one thing you should always do. Where else does it talk about it in Scripture? Scripture will interpret Scripture. So if you're ever stuck, the place you begin is you begin with Scripture. And so we're going to find this phrase in other places in the Bible and figure out what is this key? What was it that Solomon didn't know how to do that he then figured out how to do that made him the wisest man that ever lived? So I'm going to jump to Numbers 27, 15-17 to 17, and read about a conversation between Moses and God where this phrase comes up again. Moses is talking to God about his successor. Joshua is about to take over from Moses. Moses is leading um, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people through the desert. And he's getting ready to hand that responsibility off to Joshua. And he says, there's this one thing, one thing I want to make sure he can do. And we read that here. Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them. One who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So, this is the second time that phrase is mentioned. Both times we've read this word now, we found that it's in the reference to leadership. It has something to do with leadership. How are you going to lead God's people? And then he talks about it again, Moses, Deuteronomy 31, 1 to 2. So I'm going to be using a lot of scripture, I'm going to be jumping around today. So Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I'm going to pause there for a second. That's not the normal retirement age for someone in ministry. Just don't want you to get the wrong idea there. Um, But if you make it to 120, you should retire. So I think this is a good time for for, uh, Moses to retire. But he then says, I can no longer go out and come in. We see this phrase again. Now it pops up a couple other times. Deuteronomy 28.6 says, Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. And Jesus uses this phrase, John 10.9. I am the gate. Whoever enters in through me will be saved. He will come in and go out. And find the pasture. This phrase is throughout Scripture. So let's focus in on another spot, Joshua fourteen eleven, and this is where we really start to understand what it's saying. Caleb is talking to Joshua. Caleb is an older man, and he says to Joshua, "As yet, I am as strong this day on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then. So now is my strength for war." both for going out and for coming in. Coming in and going out were military terms. And here's what Solomon said. My father was a warrior. He knew how to lead the people out and he knew how to bring the people in. I don't know how to do that. I need wisdom to do that. We read further about how David did that. Samuel 18, 12 to 6. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So David knew how to lead the people out to war. It's a military term. We know why the people went out to war, but why and how did they come back in from war? Well, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about that. So what did, what was it, how were you supposed to lead people when they came back in from war? Well, the thing they did is every time they came back in from war, even when the soldiers came off the front, the first thing they did is they went and praised and worshipped God at the temple. So when it talks about leading the people in, it's talking about entering in to the presence of God and worshiping him. And so this was the thing that Solomon did not know how to do, that he needed help to do. He said, my father could do it. He could lead the men out to war, and then he could bring them back into your presence, worship there, and then send the people home. I don't know how to do that. You know, it can apply to our lives today. We still do that. We still are at war. We're in a world where there's a battle every day. Where different things are happening to us throughout the week. And we come into the presence of God. And sometimes we come in struggling in an area of our life where we feel defeated. And we feel like we're losing the battle. We come into church and we repent and we need someone to pray with us or we go to a friend. Sometimes we come in and we rejoice because of victories. Love Testimony Sundays when we hear everyone and we hear their stories. And sometimes we come in and we're in the middle of something and we need to be refreshed and we need to be revived so we can go back out and enter back into the battle. And Solomon knew this and that is what he's saying. I don't know how to do this. How do I do it? So I think here what we can start to see is that worship brings God's wisdom into our lives. You remember 1 Samuel 18, 14? I just read that. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. So Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, why was he wise? Because he got, asked God to teach him what his father knew. His father was a warrior, which means he knew how to go out. But his father was a worshiper, and he knew how to enter in. Solomon needed to learn how to do that. And now because of that, it says, David behaved wisely in all his ways because the Lord was with him. Wisdom started with his father. And David needed to learn that part. i sorry, Solomon needed to learn that part. So, I mean, if you want to know what to do about a situation, why not have Jesus right there with you? If that makes sense? Why not have the presence of God with you? If you want to know how to respond when something comes up that's tough for you, or difficult, or unexpected at work, at home, wouldn't you rather respond with the wisdom of God? And the way you respond with the wisdom of God is God's right there with you. He's right with you because you've been entering into his presence. Now, of course, Solomon was, we know, a wise and wealthy king. But I want to read about when the Queen of Sheba comes to visit him. We find out what separates him from other wise men of his day. And so we read about that in 2 Chronicles 9, verses 1 to 4. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard the the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem, and this is interesting, it says, to test Solomon with hard questions. So it's interesting, why was she wanting to test him? Well, the queen of Sheba kind of had an agenda when she was coming. If you read in history, she was, at one point, possibly considered the wisest and wealthiest person in the world. And if you asked her, she probably said she was. Now, she starts to hear these reports coming out about this guy named Solomon. And she's like, those can't be true. Those are ridiculous. Nobody has that or does that. And so she's beginning to really wonder. Now, let me read to you a little bit about Solomon, what we know about Solomon today. Solomon's net worth if you put it in today's currency they estimated just based on the gold he took in from tribute and that for 39 years he reigned and the bible says he took in 25 tons of gold in tribute every year okay just based on gold they say his wealth on gold alone is estimated at 2 trillion dollars okay so now we look at Bill Gates, and he's worth $72 billion, the wealthiest man alive, and go, wow, that's a lot of money. Well, Solomon had 28 times that, just in gold. So we're not including his palaces, the temple, his trade, his property, none of that. They have a hard time estimating that. And now some people I even estimate higher. I went more on the lower end of what they say maybe he had. So now think about that. You're hearing these reports about this guy who's got trillions of dollars, I would want to go check it out too. So the Queen of Sheba is going, that's ridiculous. I need to go check this out. What is really going on here? Now, one of the things even we read in Scripture, and um, it describes even his throne. Let me just describe his throne so you get a a feeling for what, um, uh, what kind of goods Solomon had and how he made things. It says, the king made a great throne covered with ivory, and then he overlaid the whole thing with fine gold. The throne had six steps and its back had a rounded top. On both sides of the seat were armrests with a lion standing beside each of them. Twelve lions stood on the six steps, one at each end of each step. Nothing like it had ever been made for any other kingdom in the world. All King Solomon's goblets were gold and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver because silver was considered of little value in his day. Silver was considered basically garbage to them. They didn't use it. Okay, gold was all they used. So now these reports are trickling out and the queen of Sheba is saying, all right, I think I'm the wealthiest and wisest person, but I better go check this out because if any of these reports are even partially true, maybe I'm not. So we have her coming in to ask him hard questions and to test him. So when the Queen of Sheba had seen this, so these are the things she saw, the wisdom of Psalm, the house he'd built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, their apparel, the excellence in which they do things, his cupbearers and their apparel. So even his servants looked like they were royalty. And then the last thing we read about, his entryway, how he entered into the presence of God. And it says something interesting. I'm going to read that passage for you. Second Chronicles 9 verse 4. I'm going to read this in the New King James Version because it is more true to the Hebrew. The food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and their apparel, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. She had. She was breathless. She was taken away, taken aghast, just. She didn't know what to say. Her arguments were over. She was blown away. So she watched this great and mighty man enter into the presence of God, bow low, humble himself, and enter into worship. And she went, whoa, I've never seen anyone do this. That is different. So back then, kings, if you read about the mighty kings, read about Pharaoh, In Egypt, he was considered one of the mightiest kings of that time. You read later about Nebuchadnezzar considered one of the mightiest kings of the whole world. They considered themselves to be gods. They bowed to no one. Everyone bowed to them. So here we have this man, this great and mighty man, and she's seeing his wealth, and it's beyond anything she could have ever imagined, and she watches him enter into the presence of God, humble himself, bow low, and enter into worship. And she goes, you are the wisest man that ever lives. This is something I've never seen before. And I think this is the key to Solomon. And I think this is the key to wisdom. I think it's interesting, though, the Queen of Sheba, it's interesting how God gifts us and gives us our wisdom. Their area of the world is where the Magi came from that visited Jesus. And it's also an area of the world where they value Proverbs and riddles. And at that time, they didn't have the book of Proverbs. The man who wrote it is sitting there talking to her. And so she traveled over, and she got to hear Proverbs for the first time. And she would have just been, he was speaking her language. God set that all up. He orchestrated the whole thing so she could come. And I'm sure she brought it back and repeated it to everyone in her kingdom. Now, he, even there's a, a history that even continues on. They believe she was from the Ethiopian area. It's, it's unsure. There's different areas that they say it's from, but there's, a, there's an oral tradition that even continues on from the visit and the trip and the his, and the wisdom that was passed on. There's one more verse I want to talk about that talks about this idea of entering into the presence of God. Ezekiel 46 verse 9 says, But when the people of the land come before the Lord on the appointed feast days, whoever enters or comes in, it's the same Hebrew word once again, whoever comes in or enters by way of the north gate to worship shall go out by way of the south gate. And whoever, whoever enters by way of the south gate shall go out by way of the north gate. He shall return by way of the gate through which he did not come. He shall go out through the opposite gate. This is an interesting passage of Scripture. Why was it so important that people leave by a different gate when they came in and worshipped God? To me, that seems inconvenient. I'm coming in the doors over here. When I come in from the parsonage, they're the closest ones. I don't want to walk all the way around to the far side and come in. When I leave, I'm going to leave these doors. If you parked over here, in the parking lot here, you're not going to walk all the way around the church and enter in the far door. You're going to come in and go out by the door that's closest to where you parked. Now, in the temple, it's even more troublesome. You enter in one door, go through the other. You're crossing over and getting in the way of everyone else as they come through. So why would God command them to do that when they come into the temple, the house of God? Why was he telling them that when it doesn't make any sense? And God is a God who makes sense. Well, we read in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. It says and it's in reference to the Old Testament it's talking about, these things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So everything in the Old Testament is an example to us. Now here's what God's saying with that passage. Every time you come into my presence, you will leave differently from the way you came in. However you come in, if you come into worship, whether it's on the weekends or in your private time, if you come into my presence, you will leave differently. You do not enter back in the same way. You do not enter back out through the same door. It's an example to the people. He's speaking truth right there that's saying, my presence changes you and you do not leave the same. And that was the key to Solomon's wisdom. He learned how to enter into the presence of God and he was changed. His wisdom far exceeded anyone else in that time. And here's what the Queen of Sheba says at the end. The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you a king to maintain justice and righteousness. She identifies what made him the wisest. Praise be to the Lord your God. She understands now. Every time we enter God's presence, we leave differently. You came into his house today, entered into worship saying and now we're hearing from his word and you will not leave here the same today that is a promise and that's why you so badly need to enter into his presence not just on sundays but every day and every day you enter into his presence you are more prepared and ready for whatever comes your way that day and that is what gives you the wisdom and the ability to speak into situations in your life we can leave more like jesus And here's the great thing. We come into his presence, but we don't leave his presence. We leave with his presence. And I want to encourage you today, tomorrow, the next day, every day, whether it be in the morning just for a few moments, whether it be in the afternoon, whether it be in the evening just before you go to bed, enter in to the presence of God. Come into his presence and then go out with his presence. God wants to go everywhere with you today and tomorrow. And here's something I want you to think about. What if, what if, what if for one day Jesus were to become you? What if for 24 hours Jesus wakes up in your bed, walks in your shoes, lives in your house, assumes your schedule, your boss becomes his boss, your mother becomes his mother, your pains become his pains, With one exception. Nothing about your life changes. Your health doesn't change. Your circumstances don't change. Your schedule isn't altered. Your problems aren't solved. Only one change occurs. What if for one day and one night, Jesus lives your life with his heart? Your heart gets the day off. And your life is led by the heart of Christ. His priorities govern your actions. His passions drive your decisions. His love directs your behavior. What would you be like? Would people notice a change? Your family, would they see something new? Your coworkers would they sense a difference? What about the less fortunate? Would you treat them the same? And your friends, would they detect more joy? How about your enemies? Would they receive more mercy from Christ's heart than from yours? And you, how would you feel? What alterations would this transplant have on your stress level, your mood swings, your temper? Would you sleep better? Would you see sunsets differently? Would you see death differently? Would you see taxes differently? Any chance you'd need a fewer aspirin or Tylenol? How about your reactions to traffic delays? Would they change? Would you still dread what you are dreading? Better yet, would you still do what you are doing? Would you still do what you had planned to do for the next 24 hours? Pause and think about your schedule. So Think about your week how your schedule goes, what your day is taken up by, what takes up the most time. You have many obligations, engagements, outings, appointments. With Jesus taking over your heart, would you change anything? Keep working on this for a moment. Adjust the lens of your imagination until you have a clearer picture of Jesus leading your life. What does that look like? Then snap the shutter and frame that image look at that what would it look like maybe some of you are picturing it right now maybe some of you see some changes philippians 2 5 says think and act like christ jesus god's plan for you is nothing short of a new heart you were taught to be made new in your hearts to become a new person that new person is made to be like god made to be truly god good and holy ephesians 4 23 24 God wants you to be just like Jesus. But you can't do that on your own. You have to enter in and allow him. You have to enter into his presence. Now, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. Let me say that again, because in our world, there's this idea that you can hold on to the way you are and fit that into Christianity. Or I am just like this, and you have to accept me like this. Well, God accepts you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He refuses to leave you that way. Why? Because he wants you to be just like Jesus. The life of wisdom is a life transformed by the living God through entering into the presence of God on a daily basis and we can choose to have Jesus travel with us throughout our day. The wisest man in the whole world figured this out. He knew that he could not lead God's people based on his own knowledge and smarts. He needed God's presence and direction in his life. How much more do you and I need his presence and his direction in our lives? You know, Another word for fear is reverence. Reverence for God was the beginning of Solomon's wisdom. He learned how to reverence God. And it is the same for us. So if you are struggling with something today, bring it to God. Enter into his presence. Worship him. Hear from him and leave changed. And really, that's my prayer for everyone today. As we've gone through this series, as we've learned about the different things of wisdom, it all hinges on this one thing. We cannot do it on our own. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I I don't know how to enter into the presence of God. Well, you did it today by being here. And maybe you have never had that relationship with God. Well, it's really simple. If you want that presence with you every step of the way, you can enter into it every day. Romans ten nine to 10 says, If you confess with your mouth, mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. It's that simple. Everyone can enter into the presence of God. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to meet up to certain standards. It's not like that scale that the uh, farmer had. God doesn't put you on one end and Jesus on the other and see if you match up, because we don't. It's a free gift. And once you have that free gift, you have to remember to exercise it. You have to remember to allow him to change you because that's why you became a Christian, to become Christ-like. So if the worship team would like to start to come make their way up to the stage. I was wondering if we could finish with, I don't even remember the name of it, sing a little louder. We already have it. it. So my son loves that song. And it's kind of like a victory thing. Now, if you know my son, Jace, he just likes being loud. And so this song... He doesn't even know the rest of it. He just knows the part, sing a little louder, sing a little louder, and he goes on and on, and the volume goes up and up and up. But something happens, and it's in one of those, the lines in that song. My weapon is a melody. When we raise our voices to God, we usher in the presence of God, and we are transformed, and the devil flees. It says that in Scripture, he flees from the praises of God's people. And so today, what I want to leave us with is I want us to enter into that song and sing it a little louder and really focus on the words of that song, because there's words of victory. And there's a couple lines in there too that speak about in the midst of my battle. And so if you came in here today and you need to be refreshed and revived and renewed as you head back out into another week of battle, do that. And may you sing those parts of the song even louder if you've come in here today and you don't have that relationship, why don't you come up to the front afterwards? I'd love to pray with you. Find one of our prayer team up here. You can do that today. Or if you're feeling defeated, you're feeling overcome, that song speaks about that too, that God is there with you every step of the way. So as we close here today, I want you to spend one last time here entering into the presence of God. And maybe you weren't fully awake when you first came in here. That's okay. I didn't have my coffee this morning, so it took me a little bit of time. But this is your chance now to sing your way out, to enter into his presence one more time. And remember that you're taking that with you. You are changed every time you do. It's not something you do by an act of um, your own smarts and your own abilities. It's something that happens inside of you when you're in the presence of God. And something will be different this week as you go through it because you've taken that time. And that's a promise. That's what Ezekiel speaks about. You enter in one door, you leave out the other because you are not the same. Thanks for listening online with us. We trust you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you have a prayer request or an encouraging story about what God has been doing in your life, Please email us at amen at wcmc.ca. God bless.